This is the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. My name is Sarah Jefford and I'm a surrogate and a surrogacy lawyer. In this episode, I am chatting with Angela and Kirsty. Kirsty is a surrogate for Angela and uh, they're now in the third trimester. They found out they were pregnant before COVID hit and all the lockdowns started happening. But of course, the uh, restrictions at hospitals and everything else has changed everything for their team. And they've recently been negotiating with the hospital to make sure that the intended parents can be at the birth and uh, look after the bub. So I'm going to chat to them and you can hear all about their story and what they've had to do to get the hospital to get on board. If you are planning a pregnancy or partway through a pregnancy and need some help with negotiating with the hospital or other healthcare providers, you're welcome to get in touch I will have an information pack that you can use for educating hospitals and healthcare providers about surrogacy which will include a whole lot of information that you need towards the pointy end of the pregnancy and after the birth you can get me at sarah at sarahjefford.com or at the website www.sarahjefford.com I'm going to hand over now to Ange and Kirsty. I am chatting with Kirsty and Ange, and Kirsty is a surrogate for Angela, and she's due in a little under two months. And so we're going to talk about how they came to surrogacy, and then the whole sort of surrogacy and pregnancy journey, particularly when COVID hit earlier this year, and how that's impacted on their surrogacy. So I'm going to let them tell their story. I'm going to hand over now to Kirsty and Ange. Tell me, Ange, how did you come to surrogacy? Um, yeah, so my name's Ange. I'm, um, I live in Brisbane with my husband um, and we have a seven-year-old son, um, Ethan. Um, and for me, uh, my first um, journey, I guess, to motherhood was quite easy. Um, we decided we wanted to have a baby um, and the next month I was pregnant. So that was all, um, all, all quite easy and all quite textbook. Um, had some complications with his birth. Um, and it wasn't until we, he was about 20 months old, we decided to add another member to our family um, and started um, trying again and um, from, wasn't falling pregnant straight away, which was a bit weird because the first time it was all very, um, very, very easy for us. Um, so fast forward about nine months, I uh, finally got a diagnosis from um, his birth that I had Asherman syndrome. Um, which doctors will tell you is something that's very rare. Um, Not so rare when it happens to you. You start finding out a lot more about it. So I um, had undergone a lot of treatment um, trying to correct the Asherman Asherman syndrome. So Asherman syndrome is basically a scar tissue in the uterus and in my case was was quite a severe one. Um, So I went through to five odd surgeries to try and get that fixed. Um, and then was given the, the chance to go, well, we'll have a stab at IVF and see um, if under all the medication and all the drugs that um, we would be able to get pregnant through IVF because we weren't getting pregnant naturally even after the surgery. So had quite a few IVF rounds um, and then our specialist said to us, you have very good embryos, but it's the uterus. Um, that's the problem. So uh, start started researching a little bit more and, and surrogacy had been suggested to me a lot throughout um, the process. So from the very beginning, the first specialist we saw said, you won't carry another baby again, um, have a look in surrogacy, but I was quite determined to, to see what I could do, thus the, the corrective surgeries. Um, so ended up back in um, Australian surrogacy community, which is a, a Facebook page. 
um, hung out there for a few months, read nearly probably every post and um, posted an introduction. And then a few months down the track, started talking to um, Kirsty, um, who's now our surrogate. Um, and we are due in just under seven weeks. So it's, that's, I guess, what led us to this point in time. That's exciting. And, you know, having um, started doing surrogacy law about four or five years ago, I had never heard of Asherman's. And now, of course, like you say, once you know about it, you start hearing about it a lot. So it's apparently very rare, but there's a lot of women yeah. that have... Um, either had perhaps a DNC or they've had something happen in uh, childbirth or even during IVF that has then led to Asherman syndrome and then they've had to go on and have a surrogate, which is, yeah, quite yeah. sad. Yeah. Um, Kirsty, tell us, you've got four children of your own. How on earth did you get round to thinking, I'll have a fifth, but this one I'll give away? <laughs> um, well, it actually started before I had my four children. Um, so I came to surrogacy because my mum had two of us and she wanted a bigger family, but because she was quite sick, um, she was even on life support with me, she was told she shouldn't have any more children or she may die. So I always grew up seeing her desire for a bigger family and the choice was taken away from her. So I wanted to, you know, have a sibling for myself for her one day um, but that didn't happen and my sister and I gave her great eight grandchildren instead um, and yeah it was just always something that I wanted to do and it just moved from my mum to somebody else quite lucky to have easy pregnancies and easy labours considering what you go through um, so yeah we just kept pursuing it and here I am here you are. Um, tell me, when yeah. you were intended parents, did you have anyone in particular in mind in terms of who you might carry for or was it more about who turns up on the Facebook group? Um, I didn't have anything in particular in mind, but I did want my family to be involved. I didn't want it to be something that just I was doing for myself. I wanted it to be people that my children liked and people that my husband liked um, so that was probably the main part of my criteria um, and yeah so I just went looking I came to ASC a week after my fourth was born um, just to explore the idea and learn about it and yeah I'm not a very outgoing person so I was sort of Facebook stalking people for a while and um, just seeing who was in the community and was involved but wasn't always in your face um, and that's sort of where I started looking for intended parents and yeah found Ange. I, found reckon, so. I reckon so many um, surrogacy relationships start with a bit of Facebook stalking. <laughs> yes most definitely it's encouraged. <laughs> it is encouraged because there's it's hard to kind of reach out to people um, and take that plunge if you haven't taken some time to try and get as much uh, try and understand who they are and whether or not you'll even be friends before you actually take yeah. that plunge. Yeah. That's right, yes. Great so, resource. <laughs> it is. What did they do before Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've obviously then gone through the process and now you're pregnant. At some point a pandemic hit. How did that change everything in terms of the pregnancy and the birth planning? So we were pregnant just before it really hit Australia. So it wasn't on our radar at all when we had transfer. Um, and then within a matter of a few weeks, our children were home from school and we were homeschooling. And yeah, it was kind of good for me in the first trimester because I didn't have to go anywhere. Um, but yeah, it's changed things in terms of catch-ups. We weren't able to do that 
much to begin with. Um, I also have an existing lung condition, so that was a concern as well. I sort of kept to my own little bubble in that first trimester. Um, Dane also wasn't able to come to a lot of the scans and appointments at the start, which he did want to, um, but Andrew was lucky enough to be able to come with me. So we managed okay there. It just wasn't what we'd imagined. Um, and then because we were in Queensland, we were quite lucky that restrictions eased off a bit in the second trimester so we could catch up and hang out and Andrew was able to have a baby shower. And then a week later, we um, were back in the hotspot in Queensland. So we're back to tight restrictions again and things have changed again for us. So um, it's been a bit up and down with what we can and can't do. Um, in terms of medical, that's probably the biggest thing is the medical side of things. Who can come to appointments and I can't take my three-year-old with me to appointments and stuff like that has changed. Um, and you know, what's that been Andrew. like for you and Dane? Because that must have been stressful to know that only one of you, if anything, was allowed to attend appointments. Yeah, look, it's a real um, learning curve, I think, for us because we transferred in like Kirsty said, we transferred in February and this wasn't even on our radar. Like, we're like, great. Um, we got the, you know, got the, the pregnancy result and went, oh, this is, you know, what we've been waiting for. Um, and literally, I think the next month, then March, everything started to go pretty chaotic. Um, so, yeah, it, it was hard him not being able to be there for that first, you know, that heartbeat scan where you're, you're waiting and, and, and waiting to hear that magic, you know, heartbeat going as well. But we called him literally on the way home you know, played that to him, said everything's all fine. So I think it was finding a way around those things. But yeah, it's, it's really nothing that was, was on our radar. And I think nothing that, you know, potentially any counselling session um, had ever kind of prepared us, prepared us for. And, and look, we looked at each other quite a lot in those early days and went, we're pregnant, of course, finally, but now there's a pandemic. Like, um, of course, it just, we couldn't just get pregnant have it run smoothly it had taken so long to get here so I think at one stage we just had to laugh about it because of course when it of finally course. happened the <laughs> pandemic <laughs> so, so why not why not just throw another challenge in there um, tell me how were you able to support Kirsty and her family if you if there were restrictions on visitors yeah look I think it was it was probably a bit more challenging in those early early days of that first trimester um, and we tried to like drop off, you know, his snack packages if, you know, what are you craving at the moment? So we would go and we'd drop that off at, at their house. But it was, it was a real challenge from IP, as an IP point of view when you're, you're being told you can't really go anywhere or do anything. Um, it's, it's been a lot better now. It's, it's eased off and we can kind of move a little bit around more freely. Um, Queensland probably weren't in that state of not being able to do things for so long. And I guess... The, the silver lining there was it was quite early days um, where we weren't at the tail end of a, a pregnancy um, and it was, I guess, less practical kind of support as opposed to, you know, when it gets a, a bit like closer to due date and things like that. So I guess we were lucky in the fact it was, it was so early on. And the beauty for us is we're quite local. So um, in Queensland, I think we couldn't travel further than 50 kilometres and we're only 20 minutes drive from each other. So the distance didn't affect us um, whereas if you were interstate or a bit further out that would make a huge impact for teams um, and I also am quite lucky I'm one of these people that everyone hates I don't get morning sickness so <laughs> my my first trimester is challenging because I'm tired 
um, a lot and I am in bed before my three-year-old sort of thing, but we didn't have the added pressure, I suppose, where I'm really unwell that I can't cope with day-to-day life. So that was sort of a saving grace for us mm. in that um, first trimester. But yeah, Angie and Dane would bring me packs of food and hang them on my fence or just run them to the door and things like that, which was really nice. Well, um, that's, just- that's actually interesting because I would say my love languages would be quality time and acts of service. So if I wasn't able to see my, my intended parents when I was pregnant, the acts of service, like leaving food at my door would have been quite lovely, but I would have really craved yes. the um, quality time. The time. They are my love languages as well. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, but I just didn't have much time for anything else really that my children were home and I've got four. So I was quite busy. And then by the time you add in sleep and early to bedtime and naps, that takes up a lot of your day. Yeah. Um, so the quality time probably wasn't as bad. Um, but I knew by second trimester, I was hoping that we'd be able to hang out a bit more and um, we were able to. So that was a good thing for us. Great. How has the hospital handled this, particularly as things have become a bit more stressful? Um, Because you're in a hot spot and I think even your hospital was actually a hot spot. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. I think there's been five staff members from there that have had it. Um, Can I so, ask then if if I had heard that I might have found a way to choose another hospital, but that's not really an option for you, is it? It's not. No, there's a couple of other hospitals sort of around us, but none close enough that I feel comfortable. And so you're a quick birth. You're another one that we we don't like because you actually have <laughs> quick labours <laughs> as well. So travelling like two three hours to a hospital is really not an option for you. My my last three labours were not even two hours long. So um, yeah, travelling any distance is not an option for me. We can't plan for that. Mm. Um, so there is another private hospital in Ipswich, but. Only the one public hospital, the next closest is, I think we were chatting the other day, um, there's the Brisbane hospitals, which are probably 40 minutes if you had traffic. Um, And then there's Logan and Boy Desert, but they're a little bit further out from my house. So yeah, none of those are an option. And a highway birth is not really ideal in in any circumstances, let alone surrogacy. No, I've had an emergency (laughs) room birth. And yeah, I prefer not a not a highway birth, please. (laughs) There's a there's a bit of an um, ongoing joke because we get the AFL game up here um, in Brisbane. So and that had been recently announced, and um, we had gone. That's fine. Thirty thousand people can go to the AFL game. You just have the baby there. That'll be right. (laughs) So we're dealing with all these restrictions. um, But yeah, going to the AFL game. That's that's where we'll do it. That would be (laughs) yeah. yeah. What are the restrictions for a regular pregnancy and birth at the hospital? So our first booking an appointment with the hospital was telehealth because everything was shut down at that point. Um, So they did put that in place and that was probably about 13 or 14 weeks before they did that. Um, Then we hit second trimester and the restrictions ease a little bit. So Ange was able to come to the next obstetrician appointment. Um, We've been doing shared care with a private midwife though. On that, there's not really any restrictions for us. I can bring my children to that. Um, Ange can come to that with no concerns. It's just been the ones around the hospital where I'm not allowed to take children. Um, Has been a hard one when you've got a three-year-old and a five-year-old still at home. And what Um, if you'd wanted to take your partner and Ange and Dane? Was that even a possibility during pregnancy? No, 
Yeah. No, it's always been one support person the whole time. Um, I did wow. take my three-year-old to the first one and the lady at the desk told me, don't bring her back next time. Um, oh, goodness. Yeah, so they've been very forward with telling you you're not allowed to do stuff, unfortunately. The scan places have been really good. They've been accommodating. Um, I'm pretty sure the NT scan was no support people at that point, but I explained it was surrogacy and they were like, it is up to the sonographer, but because of the situation, that should be allowed. And we were able to get both Dan and A. Dan, my tongue tied, sorry. Dane and Ange were both able to come to the morph scan. The um, clinic that we went to for that had no issues with there. So that was really lovely. Um, and then now that we've hit third trimester, we've done our usual midwife appointments, but we've had the obstetrician appointments at the hospital. And again, it's been one support person for those and no children. They don't want anyone under 16 in the hospital, basically, unless it's their appointment. Mm. And I oh, look, I've um, recently been a visitor at a maternity hospital and even watching somebody come in who was in labour and she was allowed to go in, but her partner was left in the waiting room until they had decided whether or not he could be there. That must be incredibly stressful for anyone being pregnant, let alone when yeah. you've got a surrogacy where the parents are not birthing. That's wow. I don't yeah. envy you. So how has the, han the hospital handled planning for the birth? Uh, given that it's surrogacy, have they even been responsive to the fact that it's a different case? No. <laughs> um, no, that's the short answer and the only answer, really. Um, we've been fobbed off the whole time, really. I called last year when we started transfers because I knew that a couple other surrogates in ASC had birthed at Ipswich Hospital. So I just wanted to gauge a feel for them. And the nurse unit manager that I'd spoke to there seemed quite on the ball, understood surrogacy, said, yep, you can have five or six people there. There would be no issues with a photographer or a um, private midwife. Nothing seemed to have concern to her. So then when we come this year, my doctor sent the referral through saying it was a surrogacy pregnancy. So from that very first referral, they knew what it was. Um, that booking an appointment, we got a girl who was very new. So she did great, but she didn't know anything about surrogacy and said she would chase it up for us in terms of presenting us with a policy. Nothing happened. Um, so then we had the first obstetrician appointment and we asked her about a surrogacy policy and she also had no idea. Um, she's like, I'll get it in your file for your next appointment. And by that point we were 22 weeks and the next appointment was 32 weeks and it just sat on me wrong that it was far too late to start discussing at 32 weeks. Especially um, if it turns out they were not going to be supportive at all. You kind of want to look at right. other options and know yep. what those options were before you get to the third trimester. And even knowing what to expect. Um, we understood with COVID things were changing constantly, but we needed, I needed a plan of what was going to happen and everyone needed to know what was happening. So yeah, I started calling around. Um, I spoke to nurse unit managers and the social worker and, and nothing, nothing was getting result. I either said they will look into it and never got calls back. Um, the social worker eventually told us that there is no surrogacy policy at the <laughs> hospital though. <laughs> so wow. we were by that point, what, 25 weeks maybe, and we had no policy and we weren't getting anywhere. So I started getting really cranky and this was also the time that they were still saying like one visitor for each um pregnant person for the birth weren't they 
Um, at this point, I'm just trying to remember, I know I was with a friend in May and we were allowed to support people for labour by that point and those two people were allowed to visit. I can't quite remember which month that changed. Um, but it was only recent, I think it was only about last month that it flared back up again in Queensland. So there was a good chunk of time there where there was no real strict COVID restrictions and it, and it only flared back up, I think about a month or so ago because we sat for a long time without an answer. Um, and, and, and things were fine in Queensland. So it was a bit confusing as to why we couldn't get an answer when, when COVID wasn't really um, on the boil as such up here. So Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I got really cranky and started Googling people higher up in Westmorton Health to, <laughs> um, to do something about this because that's what I do. Um, and I got onto um, a lady who is in charge of nursing and midwifery overall of and children's of West Morton and she put me in contact with the midwifery nursing director of the hospital as well as the nursing director for West Morton Health. Um, so that was where I started after I spoke to the social worker and got nowhere and then they scheduled a meeting and by that point it was school holidays and children aren't allowed in the hospital so we had to wait till after school holidays and I think we were close to 26 or 27 weeks for that appointment. And they just sort of asked us what we needed for a surrogacy birth, what we were hoping for. Um, I'd sent them a few podcasts, some info from Katrina, info from you. And they seemed to take it on board, especially the nursing and midwifery director of the hospital. She was amazing to talk to. Um, she was very considerate and thoughtful with her words and respectful of surrogacy and she seemed like she was going to do something about it but we didn't hear anything back so that started to we tried to be patient because COVID flared up again then but we still didn't hear anything and for the next obstetrician appointment at 32 weeks the social worker came to that appointment and told us at this point Ange and Dane weren't allowed in birth suite they weren't going to accommodate Ange on the ward and I would have to look after Bub. Um, and there was nothing she could do about it. That's, I mean, that approach is not actually unique to COVID because we often hear about surrogates saying somebody at the hospital has said that only the, surrogate, the surrogate's partner can be there or they can only have one support person and we're not going to accommodate these other people. And the surrogate has to look after this baby for you know, a number of days sometimes, particularly if she's had a C-section, we expect her to stay for three or four days and look after the baby and nobody else can stay, for example. There's variations of that happening all the time. But usually we can actually push back and go, no, no, it's surrogacy. You need to actually recognise that this is different. But COVID kind of added this extra layer of having to push back because they were kind of able to rely on COVID and go, these are the restrictions and they apply to everyone the same. Is that right? Yeah, that your it experience? seemed like an excuse. I actually said to the social worker, stop using COVID as a cop-out um, and this is not good enough. We, This is not... This is not what we want and it's not what we need. Um, it only just changed in the last week again, but my husband wasn't even allowed on the ward at this appointment. So I was allowed my husband for birth um, and no one on the ward. So I would be left to care for a baby if 
women, any woman that has a cesarean at the moment um, was having to care for a baby with no external support at all. Um, in the last week, though, it's changed to now you're allowed two hours for one visitor. Wow. So, you know, it's strict even for normal women who aren't having surrogacy on top of it. Um, but, yes, they're definitely – it seemed like she was just using COVID as – an excuse not to have to do anything and not to change anything just this is yeah. how it is so deal with it and I have um, really worried about um, new parents like if they're having their first bub and the poor mum has to stay in hospital on her own without any mm -hmm. visitors and any support that must be really hard and then of course surrogacy yeah. is completely different again so surrogates generally don't actually want to be caring for the baby as much as we love to dote on them we don't want to be the parent so that must be right. must have been hard for all of you thinking, well, Kirsty's going to have to look after this bub. But Ange, you and Dane are not even allowed to visit your own baby. I mean, that must have been terrifying. And we'd said to the hospital quite a few times, like, you, I'm not getting the feel like you're understanding that this is, you know, the intention of what we've done and this is the intention that it's our child. And as, not, as much as we know, you know, Kirsty would do a brilliant job of looking after baby, that's not really what she'd got into this for. She'd got into this, you know, to, to help us to have a baby and then watch us care and, and nurture for that baby. So it's, it's really baseline stuff and it's, it's very hard to wrap your head around them not understanding to, to me what seemed to be really basic stuff. That, mm. And I think at the end of one of the conversations, Kirsty had said, I am the surrogate these are baby's parents, nothing's changing. I'm birthing at this hospital. So something needs to, to be done because nothing in this situation is going to change. It's always been the same. Yep. Um, yeah. So. And also that if you had been giving birth yourself, you would have been in hospital with your baby. So the fact that somebody else is giving birth shouldn't change the fact that that baby needs to be with mum or dad and the people that are meant to be caring for it are not necessarily the people that just gave birth to it. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, correct. And it's, um, it's, it's the first time I've come across that kind of mindset that, that didn't seem to get it. Like we, we had shared the news with family and friends and, and everyone got it. Um, so it was quite a challenge when, you know, you're explaining the same thing kind of over and over again, but we just kept getting, oh, but it's COVID policy. And yeah, okay, understand you've got COVID policy. We're not asking for anything more than what any other parent would get. That's any right. other parent would be able to be present. Any other intended father or father of a child would be able to be present. So mm -hmm. we're not going to discount Kirsty's support person. It's just there are four people in this dynamic. Um, you know, when, and we're not, we're not asking for anything more. We're asking for equal approach. That's it just right. doesn't fit your box. <laughs> um, and, so, yeah. Uh, I think also they need to recognise and hopefully what we've now uh, convinced them is that in every birth situation there's differences, but in surrogacy, the person who's giving birth doesn't want to parent the baby and the parents are not the ones that gave birth and that's just fact. Like you don't have to give birth to be mm. a parent or to qualify as a parent. We already know that because men don't give birth and they are still capable of being mm. parents. So in a birthing situation, giving birth is one act and parenting and being a, a mother or a father is another act and you need to be able to recognize that in a surrogacy arrangement i i have wondered too whether there is a lack of recognition that the woman who births 
doesn't want to care for the baby and there's perhaps some, even some judgment about that. How could she possibly not want to care for the baby she gave birth to? But in fact, for a surrogate, that's the last thing you want to do. I couldn't have been more terrified of parenting the baby I didn't actually want in the first place. The whole idea was these other two people are going to do the parenting and I need to see them doing it. I don't want to be doing it myself. Yeah. Mm. So where are we up to now with the hospital? Are they now saying everything's okay? So we got our lovely lawyer to write a note. <laughs> she's, she's good, that one, um, I've heard. <laughs> she's great. She, she wrote a wicked note, um, wicked letter that we sent back to everybody that we've spoken to. Um, in my crankiness 10 weeks ago, I also had spoken to the consumer liaison who sits just under the CEO for the hospital. So I also copied her into this email and I just changed my tone. So instead of may we have this, we would like this. I was like, this is not good enough. I'm not happy. Here's a letter from my lawyer explaining the situation. This is now our demands, which we had to refine because obviously we knew by this point, Ange and Dane were the priority and we were not going to get a photography in or a midwife in. So yeah, I just sent that through, including the consumer liaison. And within 24 hours, we had a response giving us the minimum of what we wanted. They had, um, Allowance had done an exemption for Ange and Dane to be in birth suite and they were going to admit Ange as a boarder to care for baby meals and bed provided. Um, so yeah, it was a very quick change of tune. And I, I'd like yeah. to think that that's all down to me. I don't know that I can yeah. take credit. I, I would say, <laughs> and, and I say this to all, all surrogates and intended parents, is that you do have to do your own advocacy when you talk to the hospitals because you are the best advocates for explaining what do you want and how do you want them to manage the surrogacy because often they don't, they haven't uh, dealt with surrogacy recently or they may have only dealt, dealt with one in the last few years. So I think you've yeah. done an amazing job and certainly my advice would always be that you start with the social workers or the nurse unit manager or anyone in um, in the hospital that can start working with you from the beginning um, but yeah sometimes a lawyer's letter helps I found some legislation that actually protected the rights of the child the human rights legislation in Queensland which was really about recognizing that the family which is Ange, Dane and baby needs protection and the baby needs uh, to be protected and that had nothing to do with who birthed it so really I think that's what pushed them a little bit when they get a lawyer's letter with human rights legislation um, quoted at them. Um, I'd like to think that's what helped. But again, I think outside of COVID, it tends to be that the surrogate and the intended parents do a lot of their own advocacy. And at some point, something's got to give. Like you say, the situation isn't going to change, but the hospital response has to. Yeah. And they just felt like they were just waiting for us to go away. So you just have to keep pushing and pushing and go higher and find someone else to talk to if the person's not doing what you're asking or not willing to help. Um, yeah, our social worker that we had was very policy-based, didn't want to change from that, didn't want to advocate for us and it just drove us nuts. So we just found someone else that was willing to listen and yeah, you just had, we had to keep coming back to them. Not once did they reach out to us at all over the whole pregnancy so far. Um, it was us going to them first every time. So we did have to push and push harder. Mm. So actually, that's probably a good time for me to talk about this pack that I'm developing in the next few months, because there's lots of people in similar situations. I have a, 
um, surrogacy birth policy that you can give to the hospitals. And also um, I'll have all these resources about what to do around the birth and birth registration, all of that sort of stuff, but also around having a birth plan and a parenting plan that can help you navigate the hospital for a birth uh, surrogacy birth. Um, so if anyone else is listening and having trouble with hospitals or not sure how to plan it and how to advocate for themselves, they're welcome to get in touch. So do you have any advice for anyone, particularly for COVID pregnancies, the poor, um, poor loves that are having to deal with that. Do you have advice for anyone dealing with that right now? Um, just keep persisting. It's not going away quickly, but you're going to be in the same position whether it's COVID or not. So um, we've made it, made time to catch up and we've chatted on Facebook and um, yeah, just sort of not let COVID in particular get in the way of anything. We're still planned baby showers. We still planned for things and if it had to change we were able to deal with that um but yeah just keep persisting and trying to navigate different ways of doing things and call your lawyer if you need help and call your lawyer <laughs> <laughs> she, she is worth everything <laughs> and what about you do you have any advice for intended parents that are trying to support their surrogate during coronavirus um i was just thinking i think more i think Adjusting, maybe, you, you know, you, you've got these expectations of, of how things are going to be and COVID really throws a spanner in the works, but it's just thinking of other ways to do things and other ways to, to celebrate um, and other ways to keep in touch. So I guess adjusting and, and moving on from, you know, this isn't fair and this is, this is really bad timing to this is not going away and what other things um, can we do and, and how can we navigate um, different ways of doing things than, than what we have as a set kind of mindset of how we thought it was going to be. Um, I think from a hospital point of view, um, it's probably not in my nature, but, but I think we asked a lot of questions and we asked a lot of questions over and over again because you wouldn't really get a concrete answer. So continue, I guess, asking the questions um, and also figuring out, I guess, your, your, what are your deal breakers? Um, and for us, like I said to quite a few people, I, I talked about the situation with a few people that Kirstie's gone through all of this to have that moment to, to hand baby over. So that's that's real deal breaker there, which um, most of the people I talked to understood, but the hospitals, it didn't seem to. But yeah, I guess understanding what, what's really important at the end of the day. Um, I'd say from the hospital's point of view, we still do have some unanswered questions because we have a few but what ifs. Um, but yeah, continue asking the questions and I guess just shifting your mindset to um, how, how can we do things differently than what we expected them to be. Mm. Well done, both of you, and um, good luck for the next few few weeks. Um, I would also say just keep digging your heels in, get things in writing if you need to, and you can, uh, you know, you'll turn up when Kirsty's in labour and you'll just get what you need because nobody's going to be able to say no to mm. a birthing woman anyway. <laughs> I'll just birth out there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or go to the footy. I mean, that's the plan. Yeah. That's right. That's our backup plan. <laughs> that's the grand final. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. If you are looking for more information, you can find it on the blog. Listen to more podcast episodes at sarahjefford.com. You can also find me on Facebook and on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch, you can find me at sarah at sarahjefford.com.